Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Today we celebrate the simple fact that Jesus lived in human history, uh, a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and he was raised from the dead, and we call that the resurrection. And what I mean is resurrection. I don't mean that Jesus was raised as a ghost or an apparition. I don't mean that he lived, uh, his message lived on in the hearts of his followers. I don't mean that he was a resuscitated dead guy. We mean he was resurrected from the dead. And if you're here and checking out Christianity, the only possible explanation for the rise of Christianity and it taking to shape as it did, the greatest movement in human history, is that Jesus of Nazareth, three days after being very and thoroughly dead, killed by professional murderers, was found to be very thoroughly and bodily alive again. And it's for this reason that we gather every Sunday morning as the followers of the risen Jesus Christ. And this morning, that's what we're here to celebrate, the simple fact that Jesus lives. Jesus lives and reigns and the tomb is empty. And that's why we gather, that's why we worship, that's why we do all this stuff. And I've realized over the years, as I've given messages, I've talked to lots of people, um, that all of us actually have various perspectives inaccurate, accurate views of God, about God, of Jesus, who Jesus is, what he came to do. A lot of us actually carry all sorts of distorted views about Jesus. And uh, today I want to talk about um, really one story found in the scripture that really reveals who Jesus was and is and what he came to do. And, and I want to just get rid of all the distorted views that many of us have by just presenting one story. And I want to invite you into this one story that just so happens to be the longest recorded dialogue that Jesus ever gives. So it is about two hours from now that we'll depart from our ways. So we have donuts for a reason. Um, just kidding. Um, and bounce houses for the kids, of course. But no, uh, actually, I, I do want to jump into that story. But to begin, I just want to prove the fact that we, we all carry distorted views into all of our relationships. So to begin, I just want to talk about um, the number one argument that my wife and I used to get into when we just started dating, and it actually carried into most of our relationship. We've been together for 12 years. We've been married for almost nine years, um, and that's, that's a real feat, uh, considering that she's still married to me, knowing all of my baggage. But, but the, the earliest um, form of our arguments and the most consistent argument we would get into resulted from trying to answer this one question, where do you want to go to eat? Um, <laughs> Anyone else? Do I have any brothers? Amen? Okay, okay, you're all with me now. So um, what would happen is we would just start arguing about it, and I realized years into our marriage where the issue came from. Okay, it all arrived from one particular day in my life when Alex, my wife, and I, before we were husband and wife, we were dating, and um, it was probably after church that I said to her this very controversial question, where do you want to go to eat? And her response was, I don't care, you choose, period, end quotes. Are you with me? Okay, so that's all she said. So I chose, like a poor college student that I was, um, and still do to this day, I said, all right, we'll just go to Chipotle, and um, which things have changed now. I know it got really serious all of a sudden because of the... <laughs> 
<laughs> I got it, okay. I haven't been there in months. Uh, but, we, but we have tons of gift cards for you today. So they're in the swag bag, just kidding. Um, so, but, and if you haven't been to Chipotle, Chipotle, if you don't know what you're ordering, if you've never been, though, been there, it's a lot like Whitewater Rapid, Rapids, basically, um, because you get there and there's obviously a line out, no matter what time of day, there's a line out the door and, you, and it moves really fast and you get up to the front and if you don't know what you're ordering, it is like jumping into a wild river. And because you have like an army of people behind a, a bulletproof glass of stuff and and let me just give you some advice. Don't point over the bulletproof glass, okay? They, they have like machines that alarm, sirens go off. It's, it's horrible. They, anyway, so you get in the front of the line and you start your order and it starts, well, we'll start over here and go this way. So it's like, you have to, you know, do you want a chicken? You have a, a burrito, white rice, brown rice, black beans. What kind of pinto beans do you want? And then it keeps going. You want some fajitas. You want, what kind of meat do you want? You have four ty- types of meat and now they have tofu. And then you have like cheese and sour cream and blah, you know, and then it's, it's what kind of salsa? There's four different salsas and you get to the end, you want chips, guacamole is $1.50 extra. And by the time you're done, you don't even realize in, 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 that, you know, you just got through this crazy line. But what happened in that moment, because I was on it, you know, I knew what I was getting. I was quick. I looked back and, and um, my girlfriend, Alex, didn't order anything. And I realized in that moment, I did something wrong, right? <laughs> that what she meant by I don't care, you choose was I actually really do care. It's a secret. Figure it out. (laughs) Now, so I took that distorted view. Now, come to find out after years of therapy, just kidding. (laughs) She actually meant what she said, and she says what she means all the time, and it frustrates me a lot. But, um, like, do I look good in this or not? And she'll tell the truth. And, um, but so she meant what she said, but I interpreted that as though I did something wrong. I'm a people pleaser. Anyone else want to confess that? A people, you want to make everyone happy? So I spent the rest of my energy in our relationship not trusting what she said. That wasn't her fault. That was my fault. So we would say, where do you, I would say, where do you want to go to eat? And I would spend 10 minutes exhausting my sensory, my, my gifts of prophecy, trying to pray, Jesus, give me the answer, Lord. Uh, and I would start throwing out genres, which the only genre of food that I knew was Mexican. So I was like, do you want Mexican or a salad? Or like, do you want, like, you, want you know, it's like, what else is there besides burritos? So uh, that was the only option. But anyway, so the point is, um, I, I carried that dysfunction in our relationship and it created all sorts of unhelpful conflict in my relationship, and it went all over the place, all because I didn't actually believe what she said, all because I was trying to read her cues, all because I didn't believe what, it actu- what she actually meant and the truth about what was going on in our lives. And eventually that was revealed, and I stopped trying to, I actually started listening to her, which is really good, brothers. Start listening to your spouses. If you came for the first time, just take that note, and you can go in peace, grab a donut on your way out. <laughs> But um, we do this all the time in relationships. What we do is we carry our brokenness, our pain, our anger, our frustrations, our distorted views about our pasts or a past event that occurred with another relationship, and we carry that into our current relationship. And nothing can be more harmful in a relationship than carrying a distorted view of not only ourselves, but other people along for the journey. And the truth is, I've discovered as being a pastor now for eight years the truth is, and yes, I'm older than, I'm, than 16. Um, <laughs> all the folks in here were questioning that. 
that we do this with God. We carry all of our pain, our past experiences, our broken relationships, our heartbreak, um, our, our loss, our anger, our resentment, all the misunderstandings that we've had um, about God, our past experiences with church, um, our bad article that we read on Facebook about another church, and we carry that into a relationship or a lack of relationship with God, and it creates all sorts of dysfunction. And this morning, I just wanted to say, could we simply recognize that, and may I offer you a better Jesus. I want to just talk about the Jesus that I've come to love. And that's, you know, I was, I was wrestling with what do I want to teach on? It's resurrection, empty tune. I've preached on this before and I was going back and forth and I just said, you know what? I'm just going to do this. I want to talk to you about one story and invite you into the story. So if you have a Bible, we're going to read from John chapter four. Um, it's the longest recorded dialogue with Jesus and this, this person who will l- learn. I'm just going to talk through the scriptures because I think the scriptures are powerful. They're life transforming at this church. We love the scriptures. We organize our life around Jesus um, and, and his word. And so this morning, I'm just going to invite you in. We're going to read a couple of passages. I'll talk about it. We'll read some more and then we'll get to the end. I, are you guys still with me? All right, here we go. Verse four, and the, bio, this, the words are gonna be on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. Um, we're not gonna shame you today, but next week we will. So now, that's a joke. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, whose nickname was the Baptist or the Baptizer. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Okay, pause right here because I want to just point out some things about Jesus as we read these texts. You can, you can kind of just gloss over this if you want, but there's some significant things that are happening. So Jesus learns that the Pharisees, the most religious folks of his time, were, start, were starting to investigate his ministry. And the base of his ministry, the operation, was in a place called Judea. And so he hears that the religious folks are coming to investigate him. And so what Jesus does, he does all the time. He moves away from the religious folks, those that have it figured out, and he always moves to those that don't have it figured out, those that don't have an answer, those that are hurting. One thing I love about Jesus is he moves away from the religious folks towards those that don't have a spiritual clue in their body. You with me? And so he moves from, goes from Judea, the base of his operations, and he takes a long, a few-day journey to Galilee, his hometown, which would be in Southern California, like Barstow region, okay? So he, Jesus goes back to Barstow, and, um, and, and he begins to, to do ministry there because he's rejecting kind of the, the, the Pharisees and their way of doing things. And so he leaves, um, he leaves that, and then it says this in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So there's a couple of important facts that we want to kind of piece together as we learn who this Jesus was. First of all, it says that he had to go through Samaria. Now, Samaria is an interesting place, and here's why. Jewish people, Jesus was a Jew, all of his disciples were Jewish. Um, They didn't mingle or mix with Samaritans. How many of you have heard the Good Samaritan story? Um, The Good Samaritan is an oxymoron. It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense. There's no such thing as a Good Samaritan according to a Jewish context. Okay, that's a little bit of context for you. In Samaria was the region that all the Samaritans lived, and so every good 
boy and girl that was Jewish would go around Samaria. You would never go through Samaria. You avoided it like the plague. There was so much animosity. It wasn't just like, hey, our team beat your team last year. It was more like uh, hundreds of years of ancient, civil, religious, ethnic, um, political, spiritual hatred towards one another. It was significant. Bloods and Crips, stuff like that. You know, Al-Qaeda and the Tea Party. It was absolutely, you know, it was just... It was terrible. And so, it's, so Jesus is going through Samaria. And then it says he had to go. And I just want to pause and say, this is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the author of life and he has to go do something. Is that interesting? You'd think he, he would have a better understanding of his itinerary, but it says that he had to go. And the question then becomes, why does he have to go? Who does he have to meet? And if I was a young, you know, leader of a church movement of something, I would want to go someplace if it had some type of significant impact. Just, just, I'm talking about my flesh here, all right, my sinner side. I would just want to go and meet with a religious leader who's going to move the, the, the word forward. I would want to meet with a business leader who would, who would fund the ministry. I'd want to meet with a politician in that area. But who does Jesus have to go see in Samaria? Are you with me? But it also goes on to say that he was tired. We'll find out that Jesus was tired, thirsty, hungry, and hot because it was noon, which is important. And around that area of Samaria where, where Jacob's well actually still is today, you can go there. Um, that area, that place gets really hot around noon uh, and the well is still there. But Jesus, uh, in this passage, it reveals that Jesus is fully God and fully human. And if you've ever been hungry, tired, or hot, you can relate to Jesus because he also was hungry, tired, hot, and thirsty. And I just want to say that, that if you're here and you think, you know, the scripture doesn't relate, you can't relate to Jesus, Jesus always is relatable. He's always relatable. He knows how whatever it is feels. He's been there. He's been betrayed by friends. He's been outcast by family. He's been uh, rejected by, by, by close relatives and family and friends, by, by culture and society. He's been, um, he's been lied about. He's been gossiped about. Uh, he's been killed and beaten. He can relate to whatever it is that you're suffering with. Are you with me? Okay, so those are just a couple of things in the story. Um, and, and it says that he's tired. So the picture that we have, I love this picture, is that, I'm just gonna do this. It says that he was tired, and so he sits down. He sits down at a well around noon. Who's he coming? Who's he waiting for? Let's look at this. It says, verse seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into to town to buy some food, so we know that Jesus is hungry. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. We've already talked about that. And Jesus answers her, a Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now pay attention to this woman. I love this woman. I love that we don't have her name because then we can all be the Samaritan woman in the story, just the woman at the well. Listen to what she says. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can I get some of this magic water? <laughs> so Jesus is sitting and she comes and she's got her bucket. I brought one of you just to see. And she brings her bucket and, and, and Jesus is like, give me a drink. And the, the well was deep. Right? And, 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 and she says, you shouldn't be talking to me. And he starts talking about spiritual things, living water. And, and she's just like, hey, you don't have a bucket. 
How many of us can relate to that story? Anyone here relate to Jesus is doing something amazing in your life, something around you, and all you can see is that he doesn't have a bucket. You don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know what's going to happen. And all he's talking spiritual gibberish to you, living water, trust in me, faith. You're like, what? I got to pay rent. I need a wife. (laughs) Not me. I've got mine. Mine's right here. A Samaritan woman. Oh, I love it. Oh, Samaritan woman. So she's a Samaritan, so she's got that going for her against Jesus, this Jew, Jewish rabbi, prophet. We don't know who he is in the scripture quite yet in John's gospel. We know him to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Um, but she's also a woman. And in that context, that was frowned upon. I mean, it, it was, it was uh, they were considered half men. Jewish people. Men did not associate or talk to Jewish women, let alone Samaritan women. If you were a rabbi, you wouldn't teach your kids, if they were girls, you wouldn't teach your daughter the Torah, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible. You wouldn't teach them the Torah. It was a waste of time. And Jesus is speaking spiritual things to a Samaritan woman who happens to be at the well at noon, which I said was important, and here's why. Because you would get water with your bucket uh, in the morning and in the evening. You would go with other women in community. You would never go in the middle of the day because it was, a, it was too hot and you did, you did it with other community. The only reason she would have gone at noon is because she was an outcast in her town. And we'll find out her past in just a little bit. The only reason we conclude, can, can, can conclude that she's there at noon is that she's simply trying to avoid all of the other people in her town. Are you with me? So we can read in the story that the Samaritan woman, Jesus is talking to her, her, that she's an outcast. She has no education. She's not a religious leader. She is a moral failure at some point. We'll see that. She is isolated, alone in her pain, and she's trying to avoid community. Can anyone here relate to that? So what we see Jesus doing is breaking all social stereotypes, religious stereotypes, ethnic and cultural boundaries. Jesus is talking about spiritual things to this woman. This would have been revolutionary in first century context. And what I love about Jesus is he's always building bridges where people want to build walls. Jesus is always building bridges to hurting communities. He comes in, and if you don't know this about Jesus, his message was one of life, not death. It was one of grace, not condemnation. He comes, he says, the kingdom of God is available for everyone, anyone. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. A life marked by peace and joy and hope and grace and, and, and love and forgiveness of sins and freedom, that's available here and now. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to, it doesn't happen when you die. You have access to this life right now. And he, he goes on and he touches lepers He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He includes those that you should never include. He hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is the revelation that God is so good and beautiful. But most of us carry this perspective. In fact, there's studies shown that the four major perspectives about God is he's uninterested, he's angry, he's judgmental, and uninterested, (laughs) angry, judgmental, and uh, not, there's three things, judgmental, <laughs> angry, and uninterested. <laughs> uh, we'll, just, we'll just leave it there, okay? So come back next week for the fourth. Um, 
So Jesus says this life is available for everyone. He, he, he builds bridges to hurting communities. And, and, this, and Jesus is there and sitting th- down and this woman's just saying, hey, you don't have a bucket. Where, where can I get this magic water? And then in verse 12, it says, uh, uh, this woman says this. She says, um, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? So he speaks spiritual things and now she's trying to play the religious game. This happens all the time. Especially when I, when I tell people um, after they're sharing stories with profanity um, that I'm a pastor and all of a sudden they're backtracking um, their, what they just did and then they start th- talking about their spiritual things in their lives and how they're, they're doing good works and all this stuff. It, it happens all the time for me at least or maybe some of you don't share that you're a Christian around the workplace because you're afraid of what, will pe- what people will do but we all do this all the time, right? And this is what she does. She just starts speaking these spiritual things about the Old Testament. Jacob's from the Old Testament. He put the well there, gave it to his son Joseph and Jesus says this. He says, look, everyone who drinks the water, everyone who drinks this water, this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, the woman comes to the well with her bucket, but she meets Jesus the living well, and Jesus says, not only will I satisfy your need for what you put in this bucket, but I will make you a well. You guys get that? She comes to the well, meets a well, and she becomes a well. Okay, anyways, that's just me, but I thought that was interesting, but we'll get back to that in just a little bit. So Jesus says, you'll never thirst again. I'll quench every thirst you have, and the water that I give will spring up welling inside of you to be eternal life. In other words, All the things that you're longing for, that you're looking for satisfaction in, I will satisfy those needs. And there's this very Christian word here that I wanted to kind of talk about real quick. It's the word, or the phrase, excuse me, eternal life. Most of us have heard this before. We've heard that phrase. And when we think about eternal life, we immediately think about Jesus is telling this woman that when she dies, she can go to heaven, right? Eternal life, it's what happens after you die. That's not what eternal life means. Remember, remember I talked about distorted views here. I talked about we all carry our distorted views about God and Jesus, and I'm just trying to, I'm trying to replace those distorted views with healthy, accurate, biblical perspective. And so what, what the phrase eternal life is and what Jesus was saying is that you can have life before death, that the life you were designed to live the life that you were intended to have is available for you here and now. That by having a relationship with me, you can have a life that will make you a well to other people. You will become life-giving everywhere you go. And this is the story of the Bible. And I just wanna just snapshot this story because if you haven't heard this before and you haven't read the Bible, this is the story of the Bible. And, and, and for some of you, we think the Bible is uninteresting or boring, but it's, it's absolutely fascinating and amazing. You're probably just a boring person. But anyways, um, <laughs> so Genesis 1, the beginning of our Bible, it says that God creates the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, heaven and earth were interlocked 
overlapping and intimately connected with one another. And, and God and, and humanity, they dwelled together. Earth and heaven were one. And God had a perfect relationship with his people. And what that means for some of you that are searching and checking us out, it means this, that we are not products of random, randomness or chance, but of divine intelligence and choice. That you and I have uh, intrinsic worth and value way beyond what, what it is we look like, what we wear, what, whether we make a lot of money or not, whether culture deems us as successful, because we were made in the image of God. We were designed to live in perfect, loving relationship with God, with one another, with ourselves, and with all of creation. This is how the story of the Bible begins. But we know, because of the news, and because of our own life, that that's not how the story remained. Would you agree? You see, you were designed to live perfect in wholeness, in a life-giving existence with everyone in all creation. So anytime you choose to live outside of that, you miss the mark of what you were intended to be. That's called sin. That's called sin. And the Bible talks about sin. It's a big deal. Sin enters into the story. We fell short and, and it destroys everything. And I don't need to talk about sin because we see sin every single day, right? We turn on the news and we see that the world is a beautiful place and it's a broken place. We make music, we make love, we make bombs and terror. And deep inside all of us, we're outraged by stuff like that, by injustice, by poverty, by abuse. Because deep down inside, we were created to live in a perfect reality with God. And so inside all of us, we know there's a better way to live. People shouldn't be hungry and starving in places around the world. There should be enough to go around. People shouldn't have to worry about dying when they go to the airport because terrorists are gonna commit suicide. That's not what God intended. Would you agree? We all know this within us and also within us. You don't even have to look at the world. You could just look at your own self and realize that you're broken that inside of you, you're looking for something to fix the problems in your marriage, in your life, in your relationships, in your home, um, in your workplace. Inside of you, you think that something will redeem the story that you have. And so you look to money to fill that need. You look to relationships. You look to pleasure. You look uh, to, to buying more and accumulating more and more stuff. And so you're looking for those things to, to what? Save you. That's the human condition. And this is what the Bible teaches and speaks about, the human condition that we know sin came into the world. You weren't designed to live outside of a perfect relationship with God, each other, ourselves, and all of creation. So God, it says in the scripture, sent his son to redeem, reconcile, renew, and restore everything back to the way he intended it to be in the first place. That's called eternal life, where you, not only are your hearts which were once broken, healed, and mended, but the world which is broken will be repaired. And eternal life that Jesus is offering us here and now will be fully realized in the future once he comes back. But you have access to this life here and now. That's what Jesus means when he says, a wellspring of life going to eternal life. Are you with me? It's a story of scripture, and that's the gospel in a nutshell. That's why Jesus died. That's why he lived his perfect life. The kingdom came through through his resurrection, and now it's here. And so Jesus, in the story, talking to this woman, says, you can have eternal life. You can have all of this stuff. And she stands there, and I just got to read this, because remember, he's sitting down. And she says in verse 15, the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He's talking about eternal things, and she's like, just... 
Just give me some of this water so I don't have to come back here during noon. I don't have to be here again. Just fix my issue. How many of you know that sometimes the most obvious issues in our life are not the real issues that God wants to get to? And so this woman, uh, and so, so, so Jesus knows this. I love Jesus. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sit down. Jesus knows this. He's sitting, he's tired. He's, he's asking for water. The dang woman wouldn't give him some water. Give him some water. <laughs> he's thirsty. <laughs> and look at this. He goes, he goes, he goes like this. He says, hey, go call your husband and come back. She goes, uh, I have no husband. She replied, and Jesus said to her, uh, you're right when you say that you have no husband. Whew, Whew. dodged a bullet. Dodged a bullet. Jesus is right there. She She wants somebody to quench her thirst, only to discover that she met a well who knows all things, and he discovered her deepest, darkest pain. I have no husband. No, no, I don't have a, I don't have a husband. And he says to her, listen to this. This is why I love Jesus. The, he says, um, you're right when you say that you have no husband. Yep, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. He's a friend with benefits. It's, that's not in there. Um, <laughs> what you have just said is quite true. And look at her response. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Nailed it. Ho. Oh, it's so good. It's so beautiful. This woman is hanging at the well at noon because of this issue. She has been disgraced by her community. She has been looking for love in all the wrong places. And Jesus goes after the very thing she's trying to avoid talking about with other people. And this is the thing I love about Jesus. Because he had to go to Samaria. He had to sit down at the well and wait to meet the outcast. The woman looking for love had five husbands and is not filled. He goes after that woman. He can't stop her from walking away from the spiritual conversation. He goes right for the heart. Jesus can't stop loving her. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't point out her sin. Everyone else sees a sinner, adulterer, a spiritual heretic. He just sees a little daughter who needs to be loved by the eternal father. This is the Jesus that I've come to know and love. Jesus had to go through Samaria, had to meet her, had to bring her to life, not to the religious, not to the elite, not to the business, the pol- a businessman, the politician, or the intellectual, to the outcast, the broken, the hurting. And this is, this is the heart of the Christian message. Guys, God comes to us in our brokenness, meets us in our imperfections, the mess that we call life, and he meets us where we are, as we are, and loves us as we are and not as we should be. That's, if there's one thing you can walk away from hearing from this church, it's that reality. Jesus loves you as you are and not as you should be because you're never gonna be as you should be. And where the religious system sets up rules and regulations and checklists and systems, Jesus simply sits down, invites you to know him. He sits down and he invites you to know him. And then, this is, this is great. Because the story is just so real. It's like, yes, this, this is it. So the woman says, we do this all the time, right? Calls out her sin, nails it. 
I can see that you're a prophet. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. You gotta just see this. She's holding the bucket still. Calls out her issue. Her issue, her pain, her things, that one thing she's hiding. And her response is what everyone does. We talk about God in the future tense. I'll get my life together. I know that there's something happening. I know eventually when I have kids and settle down, I'll start thinking about, I'll think about Jesus. Right? Don't we do this? We try to, we try to put God in the future. We talk, we, we talk about, well, when it makes sense, you know, I'm busy right now. I've got a lot of, I got a lot of social media stuff going on. And <laughs> I got to check in real quick at this restaurant and then we can talk later. Or I got to check in at Jacob's Well. Hold on. You know, whatever, whatever it is, <laughs> right? And Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's the first time and the most clear time that Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited redeemer, the savior of the world. He doesn't reveal it to the religious folks in Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria and reveals it to a, a moral outcast. And he says, I I am he. The first time, it's the least likely person. I, I just want to focus in on this because he says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I'm the one. I'm the one. The one you've been spending your whole life searching for and you didn't know where to look. I'm the one. What your other five husbands couldn't give you, I can give you. I'm the one. What a lifetime of pursuing pleasure won't do in your soul, I can do in your soul because I'm the one. The peace you couldn't get no matter how much money or stuff you piled up, I can give it to you because I am the one. You get it all. Jesus is the only one that will ever satisfy your thirsty and hungry souls. You see, there is a hunger in every human heart. And the leading psychologists of the 20th century all tried to uh, categorize and recognize the great human truth. Sigmund Freud said, people are hungry for love. Carl Jung said, people are hungry for security. Alfred Adler said, people are hungry for significance. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Those who drink the water I give them will never thirst again. He is the way, the truth, and life. He is the resurrection and the life. And I just, I love this next part. I'm gonna hold this bucket. Jesus is there. Then his disciples, look at his disciples return where they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked anything. Uh, but, you know, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Look at what it says, verse 28. Leaving her water jar, leaving her bucket, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, the people she's avoiding to talk to. Oh, come on, right? Oh, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They come out, they came out of town and made their way, way towards Jesus. Verse 39, look at this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more, believer, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Did you see it? Did you see it? Here's a woman alone in isolation, carrying her bucket 
carrying her bucket to a well at noon, avoiding every person that she possibly could. And she goes and she meets Jesus. She doesn't fully know who he is. He invites her to experience eternal life. And finally, after seeing the fact that he doesn't have a bucket, where can I get this magic water? Water, oh, let's talk about spiritual things in the future. She finally leaves her bucket and goes into town to tell other people about what she had just experienced. And many became believers. The woman went to a well, met Jesus the well. He gave her water. She became a well and brought life to the city. Do you see how profound this story is? Because this is what we are after here. This Jesus, whose tomb is empty, he still brings resurrection about. Jesus came as life to give you new life and empower you to bring life wherever you go. The woman brings life to her city. She's met in her own brokenness. She's empowered in her own story. What was it that brought the town to Jesus, her story. It wasn't, I had it all figured out, I knew everything. It was, he met me where I was, and now all I know is that I have everything I ever longed for. Jesus, Jesus lives. So I don't know what kind of view of God you carry around in your head and your heart, But Jesus leaves no room for doubts about the kind of God that he is and reveals in the scriptures. God is not uninterested, disappointed, angry, or judgmental. Those are the four, you're welcome. (laughs) Jesus reveals that God is kind and gracious and full of love. He has done everything he can to be with you. We see Jesus uh, reveal a God who's like a shepherd who a good shepherd who leaves 99 safe and protected sheep and goes after the one lost and lonely sheep. He reveals a God who hears the prayers and cries of tax collectors and prostitutes, the modern day equivalent of slumlords, drug dealers, and terrorists. Jesus reveals that God is like a father who gives his inheritance to a son who says, I wish you were dead, but he does it anyway. And the son squanders all of his money and all of his inheritance. And he gets to the place where he realizes that he could be a slave in his father's household if he could come back and beg for forgiveness and become that slave. And so he makes his way back home. And on the way home, he's rehearsing a speech of how he's shamed the family and how he should be a slave. And when he turns the corner to see the property of his father, he sees his father running towards him. And before he could give his rehearsed speech, the father wraps his arms around his boy and says, my son, you're home. What is God like? God is like that. And any other view you have of God is not worthy of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is way better than you can ever imagine. And I wanna invite you this morning to know him, to be with him, and to learn, like the Samaritan woman, how to follow Jesus with the rest of your life. She didn't have it figured out. She didn't clean up her act. She just started talking about the man that she met. Let me tell you about someone that changed everything. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.